Hey, Susanna. Hey, Davi. How you doing? I'm okay. How are you? Yeah, yeah, okay. Okay is a good way of putting it. Yeah, it's a heavy week. Dude, heavy. Heavy week. Are we going to get a light week ever again? Probably not. Yeah, man. Probably not. What's heavy in your inbox or whatever, your news feed this week? Oh my gosh, so many things. I mean, the IPCC report, the MIT study. Wait, MIT study, what's that? Do you want to just jump in and talk about it? I mean, it's intense stuff. What, do you, what, do you, what kind of intense are we talking about? We're talking about the end of the world. Wait, what? Mm-hmm. Like societal collapse. OMG. Man, that's why there's so many people make an end of the world jokes like there's no tomorrow. Uh, <laughs> I see what you did there, I and I cannot laugh at that. <laughs> oh, that's true, yeah. Who jokes about too soon? No, maybe too yeah. late. Oh, no. <laughs> well, I guess on that dour note. Not soon enough. That's <laughs> soon enough. Let's get, let's get into the solar spin. <laughs> I joke about the end of the world, I guess. That's a, that's a That's thing a thing I've done that you now. do. I've done that now. Thank you for, for the... bringing humor to our darkest days. <laughs> well, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Well, so, wait, this MIT study, what are we, what are we talking about here? Um, okay, so in 1972, MIT did a study that predicted rapid economic growth, like what we have been doing mm-hmm, in the last mm-hmm. 100 years, would lead to societal collapse in the mid 21st century, what do you know? That's like in 10 wait, to 20 years. Wait, back that up. You mean all my prosperity is going to lead to the end of the world? Um, that's that's what that's what the 1972 MIT study showed. And at the time, people were like, "Yeah, <laughs> great." <laughs> oh yeah. Um, but there's since been a few follow-ups, and um, they've all shown that we're right on track. And and a new study was released just last year, and a couple different. News outlets have just gotten a hold of it in the last couple of weeks. And that news study showed that, yep, we're right on track. We're, we're exactly meeting uh, all the curves that are in the model that's predicting the societal collapse for us in 2040 or 2050. Okay, so a bunch of smart people back in 1972 got together and warned us that all this stuff was going to happen. And then there have been follow-up studies throughout the decades that have confirmed that we're on track for societal collapse. And now, again... We are facing the worst possible thing to be completely on track for, but we are on track for societal class. By when? When? Uh, 2040, 2050. Oh, that's right around the corner. Wow. Just a few years. Yep. There's three models. There's a business as usual model, a comprehensive technology model, and a stabilized world model. Hmm. And the business as usual model shows, uh, you know, basically since the Industrial Revolution that there is increasing industrial output, Mm -hmm. increasing food production, and of course, both of those things together support an increasing population. Okay. At the same time, that is amid increasing pollution, Mm -hmm. right? Environmental degradation, and also decreasing resources. Oh, yeah, we're right on track. We're growing industrial output, we're growing food, we're growing population, but that is at the cost of our environment, basically. Mm. Um, is what the first model shows. Uh, and then at some point, those things tip, right? We can no longer sustain the industrial output. We can no longer sustain the food production. Then there's a little gap of time, but we can no longer sustain the population. That starts decreasing as well. Um, and in the business as usual model, the 
uh, pollution skyrockets off of the chart and resources just fall out of the floor. And resources. We're not talking about like the microchip shortage of 2020, right? What are we talking about here? No, we're we're talking about the resources that enable industrial output and food production. Aye, 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 aye. Yeah. So a 2007 Australian study was like, is this right? Let's revisit this. This can't be right. <laughs> right? Because, I mean, they're hugely involved in, in extractive mining. So yeah. this is something that they're going to be interested in. Um, and they looked at the study and they found in 2007, peak oil, climate change, and food and water security issues all meant we were totally on track with this model. Um, in 2014, there was another uh, study, again, totally on track with this model. And then 2020, another review, and that's what all of the news media is talking about right now. We're on track with the model. So right. if we continue with all of these trends, this escalating industrial production, escalating uh, food production, escalating population, then in 2040 or 2050, we're going to hit the peak. All those things are going to start to fall amid skyrocketing pollution and decreasing resources. Okay. So I guess that's our worst case scenario, right? Business as usual equals a kind of like a, it triggers a societal collapse beginning somewhere in the 2040s, 2050s. Yeah. And that societal collapse. I mean, I, I think we've, we've read, if not discussed on the podcast, so many different predictions of what those types of devastation will uh, entail, you know, forced migration, some areas of the earth becoming inhabitable, not just for temperature, but maybe for rising waters. Yep. Um, and just a lot of other factors that make our lives today seem palatial compared to the lives that we might be living or our kids might be living, um, you know, not too far from where we're seated right now. Absolutely. I mean, the thing that gets really scary for me in that graph is seeing the food production. Oh, hit me. Just think about how many people's food systems are not localized mm. we're super lucky in the in the hudson valley in vermont i mean we i mean we're literally sitting three miles from a farm yes where we get our farm share every week yep. yep you know we know the people who grow our food that's incredible most people don't have that yeah you know and i mean think where do our bananas come from yeah where do our oranges come from absolutely if you're talking about not having enough resources to grow or transport those things halfway around the world you know, if you're somebody who's relying on food that's coming from those types of systems, like, where do you get your food from? Yeah, and I guess great time to just plug and shout out, like, the entire locavore uh, movement, right? Yeah. Like, that's, like, trying to create, you know, a philosophy around, like, eating more locally as it is way mm -hmm. more sustainable um, and delicious. I do yes. love my watermelons, but I'll give them up if it staves off the end of the world. Cantaloupe. Cantaloupe. Grow those well, locally. Yeah, I mean, those melons just couldn't get married, so, you know, there we... I just... Dad jokes, you know? <sighs> Can't alone. Yeah, all right. Can't I still got it. Look, until the end of the world, you're stuck with me. All right. Uh, um, yeah, yeah, so yeah. yeah okay. Yeah, so yeah. that I think that that at least you sort of as you mentioned, there was a 2020 study, which is now. I mean, I, I think at time of of of, our, of us publishing this episode, you have already absorbed or it's turning up in your either inboxes or news feeds. Um, the big IPCC report, which just Oof. dropped Sunday night or Monday, depending heavy, on your time heavy, zone. Heavy, heavy, heavy stuff. Yeah, uh, and it's it's bad. I mean, this is the most up to date science, and we'll we'll link to one of the many articles that have covered this uh, more thoroughly. But let me just give the sort of top line. The big takeaway here is that it brought a lot of contemporary scientific rigor and process to assumptions that have been among the sort of uh, subjects that climate scientists have been warning us about now for decades, right? But this report reinforces and updates all of those projections and those maths, those really deadly maths. And unfortunately, it's bad. You know, one thing to take note of is uh, our carbon budget is basically spent. 
I think it was like... What does that mean? Because I don't have a carbon budget. I have like a dollar budget. Yeah, yeah. We already talked about how the individual carbon budgeting, like carbon footprint of an individual, is like a a fraction of a drop of water in the bucket uh, of what, you know, big polluters produce. And the carbon budget tries to take that wide of a view. What is the sort of global um, carbon output of our combined uh, sort of industrial, individual, commercial, like life on earth as humans? Um, And what is the relationship between that carbon output and the rising temperatures, the trap carbons basically that form this blanket around the earth and trap heat, uh, and the relationship that it has to the old target number of a like a 1.5 degree Celsius rise in temperature over X amount of years. Basically, the carbon budget says that X amount of carbon burnt creates you know a speed of temperature rise that then puts us into you know inhospitable like the mit study territory yeah stuff starts to decentralize so i can't remember the exact number there's like 4800 tons of carbon that we had budgeted since this first budget appeared uh and i think it was like 100 years ago or something when they started measuring like basically the industrial revolution on and of that budget I think we have something like 800 tons of carbon left. So like uh, a fraction of the overall that's budget. That's not very much. No, like of the 4,800 tons of carbon that we can spend to reach that scientist prediction of crossing the 1.5 Celsius, we have 800 left. And like when we really put that practically, I know these are big abstract numbers. That's essentially saying like, like if we really wanted to like live the rest of our lives within that budget, that's us going back to like pre-industrial standards. Because yeah, wait, if we've used eighty percent of that, eighty-five, eighty something like that, eighty-three percent, yeah. Like you're you're saying that we've burned most of that in the last fifty years? No, hundred and fifty years, like hundred and fifty years. Yeah, and like I'm sure it's accelerated along an exponential right. curve. Right. Yeah, it must have. Um, but basically, yeah, the standards of living that we all enjoy right now, with air conditioner units for each window of our home and refrigerator units in each home and television that you know, 24 hours, seven days a week, pumps garbage, you know, it, it's all unsustainable. And that's like tiny. Those are tiny. I mean, what we're really talking about is like shutting down factories, shutting down refineries, uh, shutting down some of the biggest carbon producing processes in our, you know, of, of our planet. Like we should start at the top. We should not start at the bottom, obviously, AC units, whatever. I'm being poetic here, but like really it's about like probably grinding the gears of our modern economy to a halt. Wow. If not reversing them reversing the, the, the impact and the footprint of those businesses and of those carbon producers. That's just one of the terrible points. Um, that, that very 1.5 uh, degrees Celsius like metric that they had been touting for the last 20 some odd years uh, is cooked, basically. They, they, it's inevitable that we're going to reach it uh, oh, at this man. point. It's no longer preventable. And now they're reforecasting up to 4 degrees Celsius and starting to broadcast what the horrible effects of that might be. So we are going to hit 1.5C rise, just a matter of how fast. And then really what they're looking for is when do we cross the three line? When do we cross the four line? Because one of the if, if one of the only silver linings you can, one of the only two silver lines you can take away from this study, before I go full doom and gloom, is that the science is working, right? The scientists have backed up that a lot of the claims they've been making over the last 20 years are now, with the contemporary data sets that are being harvested, they were, they were all accurate enough the scientists climate scientists work is now standing up to scientific rigor the, the rigor of the of the scientific process that's great it's good to know it's that it's legit our, it's legit it's legit like science what we did was legit a bunch of haters said it wasn't yeah and hey it's legit. it's legit we got the data to prove it and that's great because we need this discipline of climate science 
to guide us to the places that will have the maximum impact for preservation, mm. you know, or for uh, longevity. I don't even want to say like necessarily preservation, but like to hold on, to hold the line where it is now. Right. Um, because back on bad news, they're saying that there are more extreme heat events inevitably coming. Extreme heat events like we talked about uh, in the Pacific Northwest. Yeah, and then the all dome. around the country, the dome effect that we felt over the entire contiguous United States of America the week after we talked about the heat domes in the Pacific Northwest. It extended over the entire country the very yeah. next week. Insane. So more of those, more extreme rain events, and not just more frequency of rain events, but the rain events have not even reached their full capacity to We've had flood. a lot of that this summer. So yeah, as I was in Utah experiencing yeah. heat domes firsthand, you were here in the Hudson Valley, and that very same farm that we did pick up our local food from had to suspend one of their weekly pickups of their CSA. Yeah. They might have lost 20 to 30 days of food production based on a week and a half of monsoon category rain. In the Hudson Valley. Yeah, we don't get monsoons. We don't have a monsoon season. And we had a week of monsoons. Yeah. Right. So there's more of that. Here's an inevitable one. Here's one that's really horrible to say. The oceans will rise. Yeah. There's nothing we can do to stop the oceans from rising. By a lot, though? Or is it just like... Oceans will rise. Yeah. So 0.5 meter, sorry, 0.5 meter uh, is possible... In the best case scenario, by 2100, we're looking at 0.5. In the worst case scenario, closer to a meter of sea level rise. But in the like unlikely but high impact rise, we're talking about 1.5 to 2 meters wow. uh, in the next you know 50 years or so, 40 years or so. So it's like that's you know that's that's a lot. It would it even this week the netherlands uh based on this report have talked about needing to completely scrap their entire river flood system mm. and and we tout that as like one of the greatest water control systems on the planet um and they're like yeah it's not capable of keeping up with these projections so we actually are wow. going to stop building the river locks and the river overflow systems that have been crucial to keeping the netherlands above water because it's just not worth investing in that avenue of defense anymore we need a better system that's wow. it's all happening right now wow so all of that but i guess another sort of like silver lining that we can take from this is that like even within the accelerated intensity of what this report found they keep on reminding us that it's not like if we cross one more threshold or one more milestone of bad, it's not like it becomes this immediate doomsday. There are levels mm. and step downs in the quality of life and in the intensity of the experience that we'll have. And so like just because we cross 1.5 C doesn't mean that we should throw up arms and like, you know, give lose up. all hope or give up. But that like each of these milestones represents a significant blow to our capacity to survive on this planet as human beings in our current organization. But that none of them, at least the first two, three of them are not, well, that's it. Better like start the end of the world party. And riding directly on the wave of press that has followed the wave of um, legislative and legal um, systems that we even explored in the previous podcast episodes about applying punitive damage to the largest carbon yep. producers. This report basically says, go in. The science works. Uh, and it's provable and it's repeatable, which means you can use this science to then justify stuff like punitive damages uh, because you can attribute carbon output to these damages very directly. So the data is there. 
the legal armature is growing um, and the calls to grow it faster are going to hopefully rise. They issued in a lot of ways a, you know, air quotes here, all you listeners at home, a final warning to governments and societies of Earth. Like, this is it. Change or, or more quickly die. Um, that's intense. Sorry. And I just want to go back to the MIT study for yeah, one yeah. second, because I think there is, and I mean, you're starting to get at it with what you're talking about here, but I think there is uh, a reason to feel optimistic and inspired by this stuff too. Okay. Um, because the MIT study, uh, and the models that they put out and then this, you know, re- revisiting of it that happened last year, it showed two other models. And there was one model called the stabilized world model that's a lot less bleak. Uh, It shows industrial output not completely tanking but flattening out. It's no longer this continuous grow, 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 grow curve. It's more steady. Mm -hmm. Resource depletion as a result is much flatter. Of course, it's still happening because we have to deplete resources to create things, but it's much flatter. Um, Population has a dip. But it's not this massive, crazy decline. And then it even picks up again. It's like oh, sure, once yeah. we kind of figure out the systems, population growth picks up again. Yeah. And pollution's more like a bell curve. It, it peaks in that sort of mid-century 2040, 2050, but then it starts to decline. It goes all the way back down again. So, you know, I think when you compare the, the couple of different models that they're proposing, I feel like what the report is really trying to get at is that our current economic model of growth at all, all costs um, and the current consumption model, which drives that, yes. right? Which is like more new, Give me the cooler, things. better, I different color. all the colors of the thing. Yes. Seven washing machines. <laughs> well, maybe not seven A washing machines, but like... A washing machines. Yeah. Do you have seven pairs of sneakers? Oh, damn. No, I don't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't. I'm not, I've never been a sneakerhead. <laughs> Go ahead. Um... Okay, and our current resource use, which is driving all that, all that's unsustainable. Like, that's what the models are saying. If we keep this kind of unsustainable model of economic growth, it is, what do you know, unsustainable. Oh, wow. Like, it's going to peak, it's going to fall. Didn't need an MIT study to tell me that. (laughs) Or maybe you did. But okay, like, let's put this into words that kind of mean something more to us. If we continue down this path, the 2020 study says that we are on the path. Like, we are matching all those growth curves. So the economy will fail. Ah. I know you're like, okay, where's the optimistic part? No, no, no. Bring it home. Bring it home. Land the plane. Let's go. (laughs) Okay. So this model of growth, capitalism, is on its way out. Yeah. And with it, a lot of difficulty, right? Food systems, we're going to talk about that. Like, those things are going to have to change. People might die. People probably will die. There's a lot of dystopian literature out here that explores, you know, the the worst of this. But... This is not inevitable. There are two other models. All three of the models are saying this growth curve is ending. It's ending, okay? But there are alternatives to what happens after that peak. And we get to decide that. Okay. So there was a BBC uh, write-up about the study too, and they were talking about how if we can transition to circular economy which means wide-scale practices of recycling across production and consumption, wholesale shift to renewable energy, uh, better farming methods for food production, different types of social structures. We have a chance at changing that graph. That's awesome. If we can limit growth, or maybe even degrowth is what they're talking about, you know? I mean, if you look at the graph, like, 
we're not doing the crazy growth thing anymore. We no, need no. to change what the economy looks like. Okay? It doesn't need to imply an end to prosperity. It's just a conscious shift, a conscious decision by societies to put more emphasis on the environment, lower your own environmental impact, lowering uh, wasteful consumption, increasing efficiencies. All that stuff could actually increase quality of life while lowering equality. I mean, lowering inequality. It's kind of hopeful, actually. Well, it's hopeful in it's hopeful in that. Yeah, there's a possibility for a better life ahead. And I think the thing that gives me the most pause is like, and and this is not to throw cold water on it, but it's just the idea that like the change that you're talking about entails a change of one's like dreams and hopes. You know, we have programmed at least look, I'm a I'm a son of two immigrants who came to this country uh to like find those the street corners that were paved in gold and like you know make you know make a business for themselves and in their case escape domestic and international civil war you know weird thing to call you know Beirut the Lebanese civil war but like you know they came here and they put those dreams into me and 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 lots of kids not even American kids grow up with that dream of of infinite growth that like you can just get more like all the hard work, all the all the scheming, all the everything that you put in, you're you're expecting to get something out that's greater than the input that you put in. That's that magic dream. And to me it's like that becomes weirdly the hardest part to reconcile because like we have all of the we have all of the tools that we need um in a centralized federalized state run government to like make these changes if they were ever capable of being mandated. But like, you know, we're seeing this even with like the mask mandate debate now as delta, you know, variant scoops back up and be like, hey, there's some basic things you can do. There's the vaccine, mask up, social distance. Like, it works. And people are like, you can't take my face and my freedom. <laughs> you know, and I know these things sound disparate and disconnected, but it just, it's, it begs the notion that, like, the hardest thing we would have to change are our expectations, our dreams of what a good life looks like. Like, walking to the farm down the road and picking up a basket of vegetables and fruits for your family that you're only going to get seasonally and that will sustain you in a very healthy, wonderful, flavorful way versus driving 10 miles down the road to the supermarket to get like import goods that will kill you and are made of like horrible, you know, preservatives. I mean, it's a change. It's a change. Can we make that change as a society? It's a change. And I think what's hopeful for me is that, you know, you and I, and I think a lot of our listeners and certainly many of our colleagues and friends you know, we all consider ourselves to be sort of of this change maker mindset. And when we read things like the IPCC report or, you know, just other things that are just kind of leading us down this path of like, holy crap, there's so much work to do. It feels quite hopeless. Like when we see how interconnected all the systems of oppression are Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and how, like just how deeply entrenched in power the people in power are like it just feels hopeless but when i look at these graphs Mm -hmm. what i see is that change is inevitable endless growth is ending putting profits ahead of people and planet is ending right exploitation of people the earth that's ending it's all ending mid-century it's gonna end whether we get involved in the fight or not it is ending so if we actually if we get involved in that fight, if we put pressure in the right places, if we do as much work as we can, we can influence that transition to be to this 
much more beautiful, enriching life, you know, that the BBC is laying out with their circular economy and, and degrowth model, we can do that. Like it. the change is going to happen, yeah. you know? So for me, it, it, it feels very much more hopeful because I don't have to fight for that change to happen. It's going to happen. Now I, I have to fight for what I want to happen after the change. And I'm like, 2040, 2050, that is like our time oh, to shine. Time. Like that yeah. is, that th- this is our adulthood that we're talking about. Like this is the work of our generation is to influence these changes so that we do end up with the world that we want after that peak. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that perspective. Because I do think in so many of these cases, the hopelessness is the thing that ends up paralyzing Absolutely. you. Um, that existential like dread. Um, yeah, there was the that, apathy. Yeah, the apathy. I was going to say there's this quote by, uh, Han, uh, who is it? By Helen Keller. I was going to say Hannah Arendt, another great woman philosopher. And, but the quote from Helen Keller was, Science may have found a cure for most evils, but it has found no remedy for the worst of them all. The apathy of human beings. But in your narrative construct, Suzanne, I see, and I guess credit the BBC too, it's like, I see this incredible sort of turn of the narrative where you're like, okay, yeah, bad is inevitable. And so it's going to stop. It's going to change. Something else is coming in the wake of this devastation. Do you want to be a part of making a decision about where that thing goes or how you show up to that change? Because the apathetic person sits there and, and... the future and history arrive and, exactly. and and they are swept up in it or they are students of it and that's it. But the the change makers, the people that are out there doing the work, no matter how minuscule or how great, they are at least participants in the making of history, in the formulation of the future, in the the sort of pulpy, weird, undefined elements of the present and where it leads. So yeah, like if you see an inevitable thing coming, like do you sit there and let it wash over you? Like literally the ocean, like wash over you as the sea levels rise? Or do you stand up and do something? Like going solar in the Hudson Valley or in Vermont. <laughs> that was a, that was the worst transition ever. Could that be? Could I, I, I don't know if I could make a worse trend. I could have told a joke, but I think a joke <laughs> would have been more tasteful. But anyway, we are, uh, we are also here representing Sun Common. Uh, we do all sorts of solar installs, roof, ground, canopy, and Tesla, Tesla solar roof as well. We are now the only certified uh, installer of the Tesla solar roof in New York. So if you are interested in any of those good things, or if you want to talk about the end of the world, you know, just pick up the phone and give us a shout. Solar at suncommon.com. Solar at suncommon.com. Uh, suncommon.com, obviously. Um, and Susanna, thank you so much for sort of talking me down from the from the despair of the want to. I want to leave on one other hopeful note. And we're going to talk about this more in a, a later podcast. But there, um, for all of our New York listeners, there's going to be a, an amendment coming up on the ballot in November. A 15-word addition to the Bill of Rights for the New York State Constitution that will state each person shall have a right to clean air and water and a healthful environment. Wow. Could be a pretty big deal if it passes. It's been in the works for a couple of years. Um, It's expected to pass, but, you know, we've been talking about the sort of legislative angles and techniques that we have to bring about the change that we're talking about bringing about, and this could be a pretty cool one, so... We're going to dive into that next podcast. Sure. We don't have enough time, but I just want to leave, you know, with a, a hopeful tone. Like this change, 
is up to us and stuff is happening and it will change. It's up to us to direct it where we want it to go. Love it. That's such a great way of putting it. Well, thank you, Susanna. Thanks, Tevi. Till next time. See ya. Thank you.